0: For those of you who have been coming for a while, you know we do a song of the month each month. So each month we take one song and we sing it most of the weeks for that month. And the reason that we do that is so that that song would hopefully get lodged in your heart, so that you would have songs for Throughout the week, when you face those types of things that we just sang about, right? That song is um, a song that was written based on Psalm 42 and 43. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, when I am tempted to despair. And Psalm 42 and 43 are part one and part two of the same um, reflection and in three different places I think it's three places throughout that pairing, the psalmist preaches to himself he says oh my soul put your hope in God why are you downcast oh my soul put your hope in him for I will praise him still so let's go to the Lord now and put our hope in him for wherever your heart is coming from rally with me to the foot of the cross so let's go to the Jesus now Lord, I pray that you would help us right now to put our hope in you as we look at your word and as we reflect on what you have done in the lives of people thousands of years ago. Lord, you are at work then and you are still at work now. I pray that you would strengthen our hearts to praise you this morning as we look at the book of Acts. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. All right. well if you have your Bibles with you or a Bible in front of you under the the chair in that little basket, um, I encourage you to uh, pull it out and turn to the fifth book in the New Testament, the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9, verse 32 all the way up. Unlike what the bulletin says, Um, which says we end at 48. We're going to go all the way up to 11, verse 18. That's a big chunk. So don't worry. It's not going to be an extra long sermon. We're just going to do a lot of Bible reading together. There's two reasons that I wanted to take such a big chunk. The first reason is simply, I'd like us to be able to finish Acts at a somewhat reasonable pace. It's a long book. And there's, as a pastor, there's a pressure. I, I, I want you... To understand small parts of scripture well and go deep. But I also want you to be able to put your arms around the whole Bible. And there's some pastors that feel like maybe it'd be wise to spend like eight years in Romans. Like one of my former pastors, um, John Piper out in Minneapolis, had spent eight years in Romans. That's a long time (laughs) in one book of the Bible. And when you're preaching in Romans, you're not preaching in so many other parts. So that was a wisdom call. I've listened to that series. It's a great series. Um, but I'd like to move th- through things a little bit faster. Um, one way that you can help yourself go a little bit deeper into what we do preach on Sunday mornings is uh, the sermon discussions we have beforehand. We meet at 9:30 ish, and we pray for a minute, and then we just uh, talk about the previous week's sermon. and it's kind of, you come when you can, and if you can't, it's not a big deal. But if any of you haven't been to one, and there's a passage, you're like, man, I'd love to learn a bit more about that. That'd be a great time to bring your questions and, and ask them. Or, or if you had a thought to share, a lot of times there's some good insight that we learn together as we tackle scripture. So this is a big chunk. And the, the other reason that I wanted to take this huge chunk is really just because it's one whole story it's one big connected story it's hard to i, I was really struggling can i break this up and it's like no um it's really ch- tough it's three stories about peter that are really connected two short stories and one really long one all about peter's experience with a man named cornelius so before we jump in let's let's have a little roadmap map for where we're going and i printed the roadmap on the back of your bulletin so if you you don't want to get lost in all the details. Uh, this is your map. This helps you see the, the trees in the midst of this big forest called um, Acts nine to eleven. So Peter goes full circle in this story from Jerusalem, like a yo-yo, out into the out into the wor- Gentile world, and then back to Jerusalem. Okay, so to the Gentiles, right. so the, this story can be called. There and Back Again by Simon Peter, right? The, and the way we're going to break it up and is, is to look at Peter's uh, three, journey, three parts to this journey uh, further and further into the non-Jewish world. So you can see it. Uh, Ken, could you click one thing? There's a map up behind me. So Peter is in Jerusalem, um, which is basically in Judea. There's Jerusalem right there. And he goes up to Lydda. See that? And then to Joppa, which is just a little over by the sea. And then up to Caesarea in the region of Galilee. So he's going further and further away from the hub of Judaism into the Gentile world and uh, he's bringing the good news about Jesus with him wherever he goes. And then his last journey, we read at the end, he goes back to Jerusalem. So from Jerusalem to Lydda, to Lydda to Joppa, from Joppa to Caesarea, and then back to Jerusalem. So this is the encompassing of all those stories. Can you can click to the next slide there, and we'll pull the map down. Now, in these, the final journey, the journey from Joppa to Caesarea, we're gonna see that um, there's four parts to this story. Four parts, and each part has two pairs. Uh, There's two visions. Peter's got one, and a Gentile named Cornelius has a vision. There's two journeys. Cornelius' guys go to find Peter, and then Peter goes to see Cornelius. Then there's two proclamations or or speeches. Cornelius talks, and then Peter talks. And finally, there's two confirmations of what happens to Cornelius and his family and their salvation. The, The Spirit comes on them, confirming that they've trusted Christ, and The church in Jerusalem isn't so sure about this, and Peter gives his report, and then they say, wow, we bear witness to it, too. God is at work. So the Spirit confirms it, and then the church of Jesus confirms that, yes, God is moving even way up north among the Gentiles. He's at work. So that's the roadmap. Um, And remember, in the story of the book of Acts, this fits with what we've been seeing. Jesus says, Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then to the outermost parts of the earth. And we saw a little glimpse of the outermost parts of the earth when the Ethiopian eunuch got saved. He's a very Gentile person. That was just like a little sneak preview. And now we see a whole group of Gentiles, non-Jewish people, come to faith in Christ. So... Let's look first at Peter's journey from Jerusalem to Lydda or Lydda, 9:32 to 35. As Peter traveled around the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda, which probably means there was a Jewish synagogue or a few of them in Lydda that had some believers in it. Lydda was away from Jerusalem, further into the realm of Galilee, as we saw. It. So, verse 33, he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years, Aeneas, Peter said to him, "Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat." Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So let's reflect on this a minute. Uh, first. Do you remember a story where Jesus heals somebody and tells them to pick up their mat and go home? Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. They tear through the roof, his friends, to let down the guy. There's no room in the house. They rip a deconstruction project. They rip the roof off because there's no room. Standing room only. And they let this sick guy in, and Jesus looks at him and says, wow, all that work, right? Your sins are forgiven. Thanks, Jesus, but I want to be healed, right? Well, He gets to that, and he says, But to show that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, rise, take up your mat, and walk. And the guy gets up, picks up his mat, and goes home. Well, here Peter does the same thing. Peter would have seen this, right? He says to this guy, Jesus Christ heals you, and the guy takes up his mat, and he walks. The point is, Jesus' followers are advancing the actions of Jesus. It's Jesus who's doing it. They're just the channel. They're just the the means for the work of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus in them. Another healing that we saw that was similar, there's a guy outside the temple in Acts 3 who'd been lame from birth. Remember that guy? And Peter and John went to the temple to pray, and when they do that they say we don't have silver and gold but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk so Peter is doing here what Peter did in Jerusalem he's doing that now way up in Lydda in the region of the Gentiles and the same type of healing powers at work and notice many people turn to the Lord alright now so healing And people turning to the Lord. See if you see the same thing here, right? Peter's journey from Lydda to Joppa, 936 to 43. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Now, I know some Tabithas. I don't know any Dorcases. Uh, I don't think you'd probably name your daughter Dorcas in English, right? But Tabitha, and she was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. Her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Um, she's dead, right? Like, th- this is pretty obvious. They they washed her body, which means they would have known whether she was warm still or breathing still. Like, she's dead. And she's up in the upstairs room being prepared for burial. Verse 38. Lida or Lida, was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by her hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Verse 43, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. A tanner is somebody who tans hides. So let's reflect on the story just for a minute. Um, Once again, we see somebody healed and people turn to Jesus. But this time, this is not an ordinary healing, as if any healing is ordinary. It's a resurrection. And it reminds us of some of the resurrection stories that Jesus performed. Remember in the Gospels where Jesus heals this little girl, Talitha? He sends everybody, everybody's crying. And he sends everybody out of the room. Peter sends everybody out. Peter's not in the show business, unlike many of the so-claimed faith healers today. No, out of the room. Then he tells the dead woman to get up, and she does. Peter returns her to the widows that she had helped so much. And when people all over Joppa hear this, they they too believe in the Lord just like in our previous story. So the purpose of these miracles here is to carry on the works of Jesus that Jesus himself did into the heart of the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world, so that people will put their faith in the risen Jesus. So those are the two journeys. Now we're at the third journey, the journey... From Joppa to Caesarea and back to Jerusalem. As mentioned before, this section runs from chapter 10, verse 1, all the way up to 11, verse 18. It's one story, and it's broken up into four pairs of two. So if you look at your little chart there, you can see how this, just to try to help you wrap your arms around the whole story, there's four pairs of, of, of two um. Events. Two visions, two journeys and welcomes, two proclamations, and two confirmations of the Spirit's work. So let's read through the two visions now. First, we got Cornelius has a vision, a dream. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. What's the capital of Italy? Italy. Anybody know? What's the capital of Italy? Rome, right? Rome, yeah. So the Italians, the Romans. And he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So this guy, notice there's something really unique about him. He's not your average pagan. He's not a pagan at all, actually. He's very similar to the Ethiopian eunuch who was Coming back from Jerusalem, having worshipped at the temple and reading the scroll of Isaiah. A Sudanese, Ethiopian, you know, modern day Sudan, um, was was worshipping God, the God of Israel. And here we have another worshipper of the God of Israel. But he's also a soldier who works for Rome, which is really interesting. And not just any soldier, but like a true Italian You know, Rome had legions from all over. And this was, these were the shock troops of Rome. But he still needs to know Jesus. Just like those Jewish people all over the ancient world who've been following the Torah and trusting the Lord to send the Messiah. Well, now that the Messiah has come, they need to know. So, verse three, one day, about three in the afternoon, he has a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God, a messenger of God, who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked, and the angel answered. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. In other words, Cornelius, God hears you, God sees you, and God remembers you. Now, now, something he needs to know, right? Verse five, send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. He's staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, so three guys, and he told them everything that had happened and sent them down to Joppa. So that's the first vision, Cornelius' vision. Now, let's look at the second vision, Peter's vision. So these visions are, are, are basically, the, the Lord is um, setting up this connection between these two people in a miraculous way. right? He meets them both and says, I want you to meet him, and I want you to meet him. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, this is verse 9, On approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Do you ever dream about food when you're hungry? Well, here's Peter's vision. He saw heaven open. I don't know if I've ever had one of these visions, but if I did, it would be a big bacon cheeseburger descending from the heavens and not kosher. Because it would have bacon on it, right? Well, that's what Peter sees. It's not a cheeseburger. Some pretty gross stuff in here. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals. That's okay, as well as reptiles yeah. and birds, yeah. maybe chickens. Then a voice told him, "Get up, Peter! Kill and eat." Peter's freaking out in his vision. It'd be like one of those dreams where you're like trying to run but you can't. You know, yeah. you know those ones. Maybe it's like, no, Lord, no, take it away. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice speaks to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. You wonder if Peter's like... And then it happens again. And then it happens again, three times. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And the she is taken back into heaven. Now, I just want to pause here before we go on. Do you, do you remember, who remembers some of the things that would have been unclean for Jewish people to eat under the Old Testament law that we find in the Old Testament? Shout it out. What are some of the things? Birds of the, the air. Yeah, like, like um, things that like eagles because they eat dead stuff. What else? Well, there's some of the sacrifices they could, some they couldn't. Things that <laughs> slithered on the ground. Things that didn't chew cud. Things that didn't chew cud, which well, is basically the yeah. There's 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 a different different ways of categorizing these animals. Um, pigs were a big one, right? No pork. The Muslims follow that. When Brian would be making pizza in Minneapolis, Brian Barrett, our former pastor. Uh, they would they would come and they didn't know much what to say other than like you know what a ham and pineapple pizza is right you'd be like ham and pineapple well they would say these Somali Muslims would come and they would say um, pineapple and that's all they would say pineapple and then they would go no pork no pork and you would go, so you, so you want a you want a pineapple pizza no pork <laughs> they're very intense about it uh, so anyway Brian's got a lot of funny stories about it but but. This would have been Peter. No pork. (laughs) No, Lord. No, no. When we preached through Leviticus, we talked about this. It seems, scholars go back and forth, why was this unclean and that not? Everything that was unclean for Israelites to eat, it was a very symbolic thing. It was all connected to... um, Anything connected to the curse in Genesis 3. So dead things, things that ate dead things, snakes, like the reptile that God cursed, animals without hooves that protected their feet from the ground, from the dust of the ground that was cursed, anything that would anything that was really associated with the dust of the ground. Why a pig? They've got hooves. Has anybody watched a pig eat? What do they do? You talk about dust. They literally plant their faces in the dust, and they just root, 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 And so anything connected to the curse, creepy crawlies, there's, there's all kinds of insects. Some they could eat, some they couldn't. Winged ones that fly, they could eat, like locusts. Chips and dip. That's what uh, John the Baptist said, right? Locusts dipped in honey. I'm sure they had a nice chippy crunch to them. Anyways, uh, th- that was clean. But uh, things like uh, scorpions, not clean. That crawled. Of course, you probably want to pick out the stinger first. But anything that crawled in the sand, like a snake, like cursed are you on your belly? You will crawl. Dust shall you eat? Genesis three. Any pigs? You can't get more dust like like pigs. Literally are eating dirt while they're truffle hunting or whatever they're looking for, okay? So anything related to that. We could go on and on about that. But that was unclean. But now that Jesus has come, Jesus declares all foods clean. Why is that? Why does Jesus declare all foods clean? Jesus has defeated the devil. He's defeated death. He's begun the work of new creation. He's redeeming even the very dust of the ground rolling back the curse, reversing it, and declaring all foods clean. So as one of my former professors used to say, bacon is victory food, okay? So when you eat bacon, your arteries might not agree, but you are celebrating the victory of Jesus Christ. Take Peter, kill, and eat. There's a new menu for Christians, and it's okay. All right. I got excited there. I like that that stuff. All right, but this is shocking to Peter. Because he's lived his whole life kosher. His conscience is just screaming. You know what a conscience is? That internal sense of right and wrong? If you've been raised one way your whole life and then God is saying it's okay now. It's not that God's law has changed fundamentally. It's that the world has changed. Jesus is the king now. And all foods are clean. Now you've got The preparation, this was a preparation now for what we see next. Two journeys and welcomes. So first, the first journey, Cornelius' men finalized their journey to Peter, and they're welcomed. Look at verse 17 of chapter 10. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the how would they have found the house of a tanner think about that <laughs> probably. probably smelled it it's, it's stinky work tanning hides all these hides hanging around in vats which some commentators point out this is very interesting that peter a jew would be hanging around dead stuff uh, maybe he's already taking steps in that direction but anyhow um, simon who's known as peter is staying there well Peter was thinking about the vision. The Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say, then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Alright, so this, inviting the men into the house, was already a huge step for Peter. To welcome Gentiles, these men who had not been circumcised, they hadn't received the the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, to welcome them as guests, that was a huge step. Jews didn't do that, usually. Usually. But the journey to Cornelius' house and the welcome by Cornelius to come under his roof, that was next level, right? It's one thing to invite a person that you view as completely unclean, as filthy, into your home. You're still in control, right? A little bit, somewhat. They're on your turf. It's quite another thing to go to their home and be on in their context, and they serve you food, it's like, where has this been? Right? <laughs> if you serve somebody food, you know where them, my fridge, it's clean, and I can clean the house after they leave. I'm not gonna be contaminated, but but if you go there, it's not, it's really truly the next level to go on to their playing field. So this is a huge step, and Peter has been prepared for it by his dream. Peter's journey now in verse. 23, the next day Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. So Peter's not alone, he's got an audience going with him, which is important. They need to witness what happens. Verse 24, the following day he arrives in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So you got a packed house. As Peter entered, the house cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence but peter made him get up stand up he said i'm just a man i'm only a man myself while talking with him peter went inside and found a large gathering of people these root these houses in the roman world would have a big atrium which was a gathering area and they found some that could hold upwards of 120 people so was there 120 people there? We don't know, but it was a large gathering. So, think—don't think ten people. Like this is a big group of Gentiles. Not a single one of them in there would have been, uh, you know, considered clean by the Jewish standards of things. And he said to them, the first words out of his mouth. Okay. So imagine here's this Jew, the Jewish guy, eating kosher all his life kept all the laws of Moses, and he goes into this room packed with Gentiles. What's the first words in his out of his mouth? Verse 28. You are well aware, guys. How many Jewish people you know? You, any of you have Jewish friends, right? I'm not asking you, but, you know, it's like, they've never been to this house before, right? Yeah, there's a reason. <laughs> it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. This is Actually, it wasn't something forbidden by our Old Testament in our Bibles. It had been forbidden by the teachings of the religious leaders of Israel. The reasoning was that, you know, if you go to a Gentile's house, they could serve you unclean food in their homes. And because they're uncircumcised, their homes were viewed as contaminated. So you could contaminate yourself by going into a non-Jewish home. Again, this isn't from the law of Moses. This was from the Jewish traditions that had built up around the law. And they observed them. Listen to what Peter says next. He says, But God has showed me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Now we hear clearly the purpose of the vision, right, that Peter had received. God was trying to prepare him for this moment. And now let's look at these two main speeches or proclamations that we have. Cornelius, verse 30, he answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Man, what an opportunity A room full of people that are saying, we are here, assembled by God, to listen to what God has to tell us through you. And so Peter opens his mouth. This is the second part. Peter speaks now. And he says in verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now notice, just briefly, that this sermon that Peter preaches, this little mini-sermon, it hits the highlight reel of all the sermons in Acts. He details the story of everything's here. Jesus is coming, his life, his death. His healing ministry, his victory over the devil, right? His his death, his resurrection, his appointment, or his being seen, witnessed by the apostles, and his appointment to judge the world, which was his ascension to the throne, and also the forgiveness of sins that comes through trusting in his name. So Peter is preaching about Jesus, and he hits all the he covers all the bases of what a a gospel sermon would be to a crowd that needs to know the truth the fullness of what's happening and in and, and the beginning he also indicates you know some things right they, they weren't completely ignorant it, was, it would have been hard to be in that day and age news about jesus had gone out but as peter's preaching something happens to confirm for him and for all those watching that these gentiles gathered into this house packing it full, they did not need to become Jewish to become followers of the Jewish king. This is the first of two confirmations that we see that these people are to be accepted into the church immediately, no questions. First, you see the Holy Spirit confirms it. While Peter, verse 44, was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished with the gift of the Holy Spirit, had been poured out on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, verse 47, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then he had they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. Usually in the book of Acts, we see people believe and they're baptized and then they receive the Spirit. But here the Spirit comes on these guys visibly, undeniably, while they're still existing in A state of uncleanness according to Jewish tradition and the Mosaic law. They're still not circumcised, the men. They're still full of the pork or whatever they ate the night before. They're they're not, um, they haven't kept the Sabbath day. These are guys that have not been following the laws of Moses, and yet the Spirit of God falls on them. And it's really important that there was a group of guys to witness it, as we'll see soon, a group of Jewish men. Peter and the Jews are astonished. God is willing to send his spirit to dwell in and with these unclean Gentiles, to make them his special dwelling place. That means they become part of this end-time temple of God. The, The new temple of God that he's building is a people. And what is a temple? It's a place where God dwells, where you go to meet God. And now the Spirit is with these men, these Gentiles. God accepts them as they are. But the rest of the church, they remain to be convinced. I want to just point out something in verse 47. When when they hear them speaking in tongues and praising God... And the Spirit comes on them. Verse 47, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water because they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Who would have stood in the way? Maybe somebody that would say, Whoa. Okay. These Gentiles are unclean, unclean, unclean. I mean, he works for Rome for crying out loud. I think we need... There needs to be a little bit of process before they we we just dunk them and baptize them. And they need to be circumcised. And and they need to they need to keep the Sabbath and they need to have a little period where they, they swear off you know unclean foods and uh, you know maybe a few other things that they were doing that was unclean. But the, the way that the Spirit comes on them shows they're in. Now, it's a, it's not like God's like saying, "Wait, they're not clean enough for me. They got to clean themselves up." No, they, they they trust Jesus, and they're in. So, the rest of the church still has to be convinced of this. Their consciences, their moral sense of right and wrong, they have to be what I call recalibrated, retrained. Everything they've grown up learning and thinking thinking they knew, screamed against eating with Gentiles. Their whole lives they'd grown up thinking, these Jewish people, they are on the outside, we are on the inside. They are the aliens and strangers, we are the children of the promise. They are the unclean, we are the clean. If they want any fellowship with us at all, they must be uncircumcised, eat kosher, become like us, maybe even move to Jerusalem. But God is saying... It's not like that anymore. I want you to see the reaction of the church now. The reaction of the church. Verse 11, er, Chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? What? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying in a trance and saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men. So three times, three men. See that? Had been sent to me from Caesarea, and they stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me. So see, these other people, they saw, and they went to this man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered that the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 17 and 18. This is the grand conclusion of everything. So, if God gave them the same gift he gave us, the Spirit, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections. And they praised God, saying, So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted the repentance that leads to life. Alright. So, we've reached the end of this section. You see the church confirming what happened. These Gentiles are welcomed in, and they don't have to become externally Jewish to do it, because the Spirit has cleansed their hearts through faith. We'll see this type of thing come up more in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15, there's another big showdown. And we'll see that because the Apostle Paul starts associating with Gentiles and lots of them start getting saved and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to think more about this. And we'll we'll tackle that in a few weeks. But in conclusion, the good news about Jesus is good news for non-Jewish people. And that's, I think, each one of us here. We're Gentiles. We don't have to become Jewish to receive the gospel and become part of the reign of the king of the Jews, Jesus. The spirit of God here comes on these men and they are fully in. As Christians, here's a little application for us. When we read through the Old Testament, including all the laws that are there, We must read it through the lens of Christ's coming. The early church, we see this in the book of Acts, it took a while for them to get there, to understand that, how Christ's coming changed everything. Christ has changed how the law of God relates to us as Christians. And how we relate to the laws found in the Old Testament. Now, I just want to say as we close, there, there are a lot of Christians who really struggle with this. When I lived in Minneapolis, uh, my friend Brian Barrett, like I said, some of you remember Brian, we, we had a three hour conversation with a Gentile guy, not Jewish, his name's Chris. I still remember, actually, I was at that caribou coffee um, on Wednesday in Minneapolis and sat right at the same table, and that's what made me think of this story. It's like, man, eight years ago, I sat here with Chris, and we talked for three hours with him. We were talking with him at the request of his mom, who is very concerned for him. Chris was just a, he's a really nice guy, still Facebook friends with him. He's married now as a kid, but he... He was, uh, you know, playing football at the University of Minnesota. Bright guy, trying to follow Jesus. But he had started watching a ton of YouTube videos from a group of Christians who believe that all the law of the Old Testament, all of it, must still be followed by Gentiles. And we, I mean, you know Brian. Everything I know, he knows knows it ten times better, right? And... And we, we were going on, as gentle as we could, pleading with this guy for three hours. Open Bibles, giving our very best arguments. And then after he met with us, he actually met with Jason Deroshu, who is one of the best Old Testament scholars on Team Jesus in the country. And Jason talked with him for two hours. And we could, couldn't get him to change his mind. And his, like I said, his mom was the one who kind of connected us with him, and he's a really nice guy. I really like him. I think he believes he knows the Lord. But these type of Jewish root movements they pop up again and again in every church age. There's a big one around here, the Seventh Day Adventists. Perhaps they're some of the most common known. Um, they still try to eat kosher, worship on sab- Saturdays. The logic of many of these groups is this. God's morals never change. So how could the law change and not apply to us? That sounds like pretty good logic. Does God change the rules? Is he just this arbitrary parent? And Chris and countless others like him have have had that logic land on them and so they tried to keep as much of the Old Testament law as possible, including worshiping on Saturday, not eating pork, and countless other Old Testament laws and Jewish traditions. But, I want you to know, this, this position, I, I truly believe it's a mistaken position. God's morals have not changed, but the way to become right with God has changed, now that God has become a man. Even the law of God itself pointed to this. So, God's morals has not changed things. Jesus, showing up, changed the world. And how we can become right with God. He is the fulfillment, the culmination of everything that the law pointed to. So as a Christian, my encouragement to you is to grow in reading your whole Bible, especially your Old Testament, through the lens of Christ has come. How does this apply to me now that Jesus is here? And whenever we're in the Old Testament, that's that's our aim. How does this look now that we have come to follow Christ? And we looked at one thing today, right? All food's clean. Why? Because Jesus defeated the devil, reversed the curse, set the new creation in motion, and all things are yours as the people of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I pray that we would grow in our faith in Christ that we would have lives that are transformed by your spirit just like Cornelius and the men and women that packed his house so long ago please Lord if there's any areas in our lives where our consciences need to be retrained and recalibrated to see the world better through the light of Christ coming if our knee jerk reactions to things are off oh that's unclean but Maybe there's more to it. I just pray that you would, you would help us to view the whole world through the lens of the coming of Christ the Messiah. Be with us now as we take time to reflect on your sacrifice through the bread and the cup. In Jesus' name, amen.